Daniel LaPlante is one of the creepiest criminals we've ever heard of. As a teenager, he terrorized the Andrews family by living in the walls of their home and making them think their house was haunted by their deceased mother. After a stint in juvie for what he did to the Andrews family, he broke into the Gustafson home and murdered Priscilla and her two children. Daniel was sentenced to three life sentences in prison, and though he has appealed many times, he is still serving out these sentences. He will be eligible for parole in 2032. Hey everybody and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver and I'm here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey everybody. We are ridiculously happy to be here because uh, this is our (laughs) third attempt to record this episode. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, we have had a series of tech issues uh, that I think we finally resolved. I, you know, I think so too and... Yay. Sorry. We're so behind you guys. Yeah. Weird. We did have two episodes on Monday because of the Lori Vallow uh, stuff. And so we decided, okay, we're probably okay. But still, this is not like the way we like to operate. So we do. No, we never, we never miss a show. Hardly ever. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. So we feel very weird about this week and the way things have played out. But, you know, tech, life, you know, shit happens. But we're here. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. So with all that being said, how are you? Are you ready to roll? I am good. I am ready to roll. I have reviewed these cases several times now because I <laughs> keep thinking, what am I doing again? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> we, we've had a weird week, you guys. Yes, we have. So, well, cool. Well, good. With that, I will say it is our Wednesday case, our mm-hmm. Wednesday episode. We'll be back tonight with case updates. There's some very interesting things happening uh, in the crime world. And then we'll be back tomorrow night, Thursday night, for the Psychic Hour at 7 p.m. Mountain. So lots more good stuff to come this week. And we're here Mm -hmm. for it, by God, no matter what. We will prevail, Tech. You might as well just stop. Yeah, just give up. (laughs) Give up now. (laughs) We'll figure it out. We are tenacious like that. Mm -hmm. But with all that being said, let's get going on an episode that has been dying to be birthed. Yes, I'm going to kick the mic over to you for some Florida Man action. All right. Oh, Florida. And this is actually a Florida woman. (laughs) However, just as dumb, sadly. So, you know, there's a lot of credit card fraud out there in the world. Lots of stolen credit cards. Lots of stuff, you know, going on that makes us all a little nervous about having credit cards to begin with. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes these credit card thieves are maybe lacking a bit in the education department about how to be a credit card thief. And uh, maybe ought to like watch a YouTube video or two because they like to just catch themselves. This happened to with a woman named Jessica in uh, Florida. So she had been shopping at a Beals outlet in Avon Park. 
And apparently she'd been doing quite a lot of shopping. Mm -hmm. She'd gone to um, three different Bells. And now Bells had a customer on the phone pissed because someone is fraudulently using her credit card. They've done it seven times. (laughs) Yeah. For a total of about $1,400 worth of merchandise from the store, right? Wow. So... They get to looking at their CCTV and they get to looking at all their stuff. And it turns out that sweet little Jessica, who maybe should pick a life of not crime because she sucks at crime, (laughs) had been using a fraudulent credit card at Bell's, but using her own rewards number. (laughs) It took only a moment to catch Jessica and... All that she had done because she wanted to make sure she did not miss out on those rewards points. So, you know, Jessica, might be a time to uh, reevaluate your life and consider that life of crime is just not for you. Yeah, oh, honey. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, um, well, I'm glad she was caught and shut down. And hopefully this teaches her a lesson about uh, either A, knocking it off, or B, <laughs> Being a better criminal? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which. Um, I think it just probably, I think you should probably go work at a daycare or something, Jessica. Like, just get out of this. You suck at it. Yeah. This is not for you. No. No, it is not. All right, Katie. Well, I'm going to kick the mic back to you for the main case. All righty. Well, we're talking today about Daniel LaPlante. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, his name is pronounced LaPlante to the best of my knowledge. Some uh, videos I've seen, they pronounce it LaPlante. I don't know. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. You can let me know. But LaPlante is where we're going with it because uh, I don't really care (laughs) considering what the dude has done. I don't Yeah. Let's talk about his crimes more than his name. But, you know, when you've been on YouTube as long as we have, um, you can pretty much uh, anticipate what people are going to come over here and complain about and it'll be his name for for Mm -hmm. sure but whatever who cares anyway Daniel (laughs) so Daniel Daniel my god this is one of the creepiest humans I have ever heard about in crime and we've heard a lot and an opportunistic ass what he did to the first family especially and the second oh good lord so we're going to start with the Andrews family because that's pretty much where he started. And so he was born in Massachusetts in 1970. And there's not a ton of information about uh, his early childhood. But we do know that a little later in life, uh, he ended up having uh, sexual and psychological and physical abuse by his father and then by his stepfather. So he had a lot of abuse at home. Kids at school, uh, others looking back said he was creepy and weird. He came to school smelling bad frequently and in dirty clothes and got bullied quite a bit and put down quite a bit. And finally, when he was about 12, his mom put him into therapy and the therapist uh, sexually abused him for about 18 months. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. So that's awful. Holy shit. Yeah. So this boy has known a life of 
terrible abuse and being let down by every adult that he came in contact with. Yeah. Wow. So about this time, he started doing what a lot of kids do uh, that, you know, are in backward situations. Um, He started a life of crime. Not everyone who's abused starts a life of crime. Don't at me. But, you know, we see this with our serial killers and stuff sometimes, like horrific abuse. And then the crime starts with them very young. And anyway, so as an early teen, he started breaking into people's houses. Uh, Really weird. Breaking into people's houses and, yes, stealing things, but also rifling through everything. Just violating everything he could. Uh, repeatedly breaking into the same homes and moving stuff and just essentially messing with people because he thought it was, I guess, funny. He got a rush from it. Wow. So this is when the Andrews family enters the scene. So this was a nearby town. It was Pepperell, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, Brian Andrews lived uh, with his two daughters. Annie was 15 and Jessica was eight. Their mom, Brian's wife, had just died to cancer, and life was really hard at their house at the time. They, uh, Dad was working a ton of hours to try and make up for all of the medical bills they had. The girls were just uh, kind of on their own, taking care of each other, and life was hard. You know, you can only imagine, right? And this was about the time that uh, they believed that Daniel broke into the Andrews' home. And that he'd done some of his creeping. And they believe that he found pictures of Annie there. And liked her photos. So he started calling the house. And talking to Annie. And he told her on the phone he was a tall, blonde, athletic guy. uh, Very smart. You know. All the things that uh, maybe she would want to date. Uh, She was a little Mm -hmm. skeptical. But uh, he called every night for a week and she actually really liked her conversations with him. So he asked her out on a date. So she decided to go. Well, when he got to the door, this was not at all the person she thought she was going out with. Um, He was not at all the person he described. He'd completely catfished her. But she decided to go ahead and go on the date because she'd already agreed to. And because she did really enjoy the conversation. Girls are supposed to be nice. Yeah, girls are supposed to be nice. So they went to, yeah, so they went to the county fair and had a very awkward and weird time, Uh, but they were walking around and he was asking her a lot of questions about her family and she told him about her mom dying. And in hindsight, she said it was really weird the way he got really lit up and animated about that, asked her a lot of really inappropriate questions about her death how it happened, how much she suffered, uh, just a lot of things that like, why the hell would you ask anyone that? And she'd finally had enough of it and decided she was done. Mm-hmm. So she told him she was going home and that she did never want to see him again. Over. So that's what she did. She went home, just wrote the whole thing off as being very creepy and that mm-hmm. he was very creepy. Well, several days later, the girls are hanging out at home And they were talking about their mom, who they missed terribly. And they decided that maybe they could do a seance and contact her. So they went to the basement and they lit some candles and they tried to do a ceremony the best that they could. They didn't really know what they were doing, but, you know, 
these are two teenage or young girls who've lost their mom, you know. So they didn't, uh, anything, nothing really happened, you know, but uh, when their dad came home, they blew out the candles and came upstairs, not wanting him to know that they were doing a seance. Later that night when they went to bed, they started hearing a rhythmic tapping sound on the walls in their bedroom. And they were like, did you hear that? Maybe it was mom. Maybe it worked. So they keep listening to this tapping. And it was exciting at first, but then it kept happening. And only when they were home alone or dad was asleep. And it went from kind of exciting thinking maybe they'd made contact to their mom to kind of creepy like, holy shit, did we... uh, what happened? What did we do? You know, mm-hmm. because it was getting to be insistent and louder and frustrating. Then the girls started noticing objects and furniture moving around the house and disappearing. And things like uh, they would, somebody would make food and put it on the kitchen counter and walk away for a minute and come back and it would be gone. Things like that, that oh like the unmistakable things missing and gone. And so they're sure. starting to get really creeped out. And spooked. So they finally tell their dad they think there's a ghost in the house. And he tells them that's complete nonsense. Everything's fine. You guys just, you're freaking yourselves out. You know, everything's fine. So one evening before dad gets home from work, the tapping gets out of control loud. And they go down to the basement because they thought maybe they were hearing it down below them. So they get a kitchen knife and they go to the basement and written in red on the wall, what they thought was blood said, I'm in your room. Come and find me. Oh, so it obviously scares the shit out of them. And they run up the stairs and out the door into the neighbor's house where they call their dad. And so dad actually does, uh, you know, finally have to buy in. To this and they discover that uh it actually was ketchup and at first dad actually thinks that maybe how uh, the girls did it themselves the way oh. he gaslights them is crazy he decides yeah. maybe it was it they're doing this maybe they're just uh, in all of their grief they're just acting really weird so he decides to put them into therapy that's the decision um <clears throat> not that someone creepy is stalking their house uh That apparently was too easy of an answer. So about two weeks later, the knocking had actually stopped for a while. And the girls were really relieved. They thought maybe this was over. And then they were home alone and they started hearing the knocking again from Annie's room. So again, they ran up to the bedroom and there's another note on the wall that said, I am back. Find me if you can. The girls, again, run to the neighbor's house because, again, they're home alone. And this is part of the problem. The girls are spending way too much time home alone. Mm -hmm. So they go to the neighbor's house and, again, they call their dad and they tell him about all the tapping again and the writing on the wall. And he finally decides he's coming home. He's he's really still blaming them. Like, they're making this up. They're doing it themselves. This is just a cry for attention, whatever. So he comes home from work kind of pissed off that uh, they're they're pulling this on him. 
Well, when he gets to the house... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I will say some reports say that there was the TV was turned on at full volume at this point, but not all of them. And I'm mostly referring to the Talk Murder With Me blog, which I'm going to post in the uh, comments or in the uh, show description, but also uh, three other sites that I've been working with as well. So there's a lot of information out there. But anyway, some of them say the TV was on at full blast. Some say it wasn't. But there's a new message on the wall that says, marry me. So... Oh. The girls didn't see that, and they've been at the neighbors ever since. And so dad's finally waking up to the fact that there's something crazy going on in his house. And it's not yeah. the girls just hysterical in grief, just doing it. You know, right. this is happening. So he has had enough. And he starts looking around, and out of the corner of his eye, something moves. And he turns around and sees a boy standing in the hall. Oh, my God. He, it turns out to be a boy. He doesn't know that at first because this being standing in the hall, his face is caked with makeup. He's wearing a blonde wig and he's wearing clothing that belonged to Brian's late wife. Oh, God. Yeah. Dressed up like the girl's mom. Yikes. Dead mom. My yeah. God. Yeah. So he struggles with him. He was also holding a hatchet in his hand, for Christ's sake. But he mm. struggles with him and gets away. So Daniel gets away and the police are finally called. Finally called. And yeah. the police search the house and they discover in Annie's bedroom a crawl space. Oof. And they open up the crawl space and guess who's sitting inside? He was still there? Still dressed up like the deceased mom. Oh, my hell. Mm-hmm. So they drag him out of there. And this is now two months after the date. So he's oh. been stalking this house for two months, terrifying these girls. Yikes. So they discover that this crawl space is a passageway in this house. And he's been able to crawl around knocking on walls all over in the house and stalking these guys for and spying on them for months. Oh, wow. Inside the crawl space, they found garbage, food wrappers, a sleeping bag, beer cans, and some of the clothing that he has stolen. Yeah. Oh, my God. So he gets arrested, obviously. Yeah. And he goes to juvie for 10 months. But at that point, he turns 17, and they transfer his case from juvenile court to adult court. And because he's now in adult court, he can post bail. And so, for some unknown reason, his mother posts bail oh. and gets him out. Oh. A decision I'm sure she lives to regret. So now he's out. He's been charged with a bunch of stuff. And 
At any rate, he is supposed to show up to court on December 11th, 1987, but he does not. Before that even happens, in November, he breaks into a neighbor's house and steals two handguns. Jeez. Yeah. He's done messing around with people. He's now escalated. Yeah. So now he's got two handguns. This was, uh, of course, in November. On December 1st, he walks a half a mile from his house to the Gustafsson family home and breaks in. And he finds there 33-year-old Priscilla, who is pregnant, and her seven-year-old daughter, Abigail, and her five-year-old son, William. Oh, wow. And he... Once he gets into the house, they don't know exactly what happened, but what they do know is that he uh, managed to get Priscilla into her bedroom, or maybe he found her in her bedroom, where he beat and brutally raped her and put a pillow over her head and shot into it twice. Oh, God. Then he gathered up the children, and he took William into the upstairs bathroom and drowned him in the bathtub. Oh, my God. And then he took Abigail into the downstairs bathroom and drowned her in the bathtub. Oh, my God. So pretty soon, Dad comes home from work. His name is, pardon me, Andrew. So Andrew comes home from work and discovers his entire family has been murdered. Oh, my God. That's horrible. So they find some semen. They find an open, untouched can of beer. This is one of his calling cards, is that a lot of times when he would break into a house, he would open uh, various cans of drinks and maybe take one sip and then leave them sitting around the house. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, there's an open can of beer there that hasn't really been drank. And there's a footprint in the flower bed. So that's pretty much what they have to go on. Now, obviously, people in the community are really, really afraid and upset. And detectives start working on a list of possible suspects. And because he has just been released from juvie and and then released from jail, Daniel makes the list of suspects. So there were some things that were stolen from the home. A cable TV box and a cordless phone and some other stuff. And, you know, they already have suspected him and other robberies in the area. And he's already done, you know, been in trouble for robbing. So robbing, robbing. So they wonder. Mm-hmm. So on December 2nd, they find him at the public library and ask him how, what he was doing the day before. And he tells him he's just been home watching TV. He went to his niece's birthday party, you know, just plays it off. Mm-hmm. Well, later that day, they actually go to their home to question him. And when they get there, Daniel's standing on the porch. And when he sees them, he turns and runs into the woods. Hmm. Innocent people don't usually run. Right. And they find in the house, guess what? The stolen items from the Gustafson family home. Oh, my God. So now they have an all points bulletin issued for him and a total manhunt. uh, Because, of course, he did run into the woods. And they, uh, they do finally find him. He, they find him uh, on December 3rd, hiding in a dumpster. So they take him in, 
And the officer said when they arrested him and took him in, he was laughing hysterically. He did have the gun that was used to kill the Gustafsons stuffed into his underwear. So, of course, they have a ton of evidence against him. He was not a good criminal, you know. He was just awful. And they go to trial. He pleads not guilty on all three charges. Uh, He did commit these crimes at 17, but they were trying him as an adult. Um, He did have a psychiatric evaluation, and he was found fit to stand trial. So the prosecution called 50 witnesses. Oh, wow. Many of which were Daniel's own family members. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. Basically, everyone around this kid knew that he was cray and dangerous, and he had done things to literally everybody that he knew. So he also uh, was an ass during the trial and was frequently smirking, uh, snickering about somebody's testimony, you know, lots of facial expression and stuff that, uh, you know, ain't nobody on the jury like this kid. They're hearing all of this stuff about what a little shit he is and then how dangerous he is and scary things he's done. And he's over there snickering about it. Wow. I'll bet his lawyers were just... I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there it was hard to defend him because there wasn't much. They tried to argue that all of the evidence at the uh, LaPlante home was circumstantial and that maybe another family could have member could have done it, that you're all blaming him, but maybe it was somebody else who lived there. But oh, they wow. were rock solid all alibis for stepdad and stepbrothers. There was just, he had nothing to go on really. So he was convicted. In 1993, he appealed the conviction on grounds that the search warrants shouldn't have been granted to his home. That appeal was denied. (laughs) In prison, he's been, you know, not surprising, a real shithead. In 2000, he requested he be moved for his own safety because he had been receiving death threats from other prisoners. Can you imagine the shit he'd been doing? Oh, I I can only imagine. So then he was segregated from the other inmates to keep him safe rather than move him. And then he sued the board of prisons because he said they were denying his rights by not allowing him to access the library. You know, because he was segregated for his own safety because the other inmates hated his ass and wanted to kill him. Yeah. And he won a settlement of $450. (laughs) In 2017, he's now 46, he appealed for a reduced sentence because the Supreme Court had ruled that juveniles cannot be sentenced to life in prison without parole. So he'd already been in prison for 30 years, and he was really hoping at that point that he could be uh, released. So obviously the family of the Gustafson family were there, and they were firmly against his resentencing. He has never up until this point, showed any remorse whatsoever. Then he goes to court in 2017. He's like, oh, by the way, I'm really sorry for all of this. You know, and issues this real half-ass apology that they're oh, like, through you, Daniel. Yeah. yeah. He, he said, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow. I am truly sorry for the harm I've caused from the very essence of who I am. From the depths of my soul, I'm sorry. 
good mm-hmm. God. Okay. So <laughs> the judge said that in his opinion, <coughs> pardon me, uh, sorry, in her opinion, Mr. LaPlante has not been rehabilitated. <laughs> so she resentenced his original sentence, which was three life sentences to be served consecutively. Uh, he would have the opportunity for parole in 45 years, which is 2032, which is still the case. Wow. Here's what the judge said. She said, this case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. He killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother and her five and seven-year-old children. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted. Yeah. So, and you know, uh, Priscilla's family feels like 2032 is way too soon for him to get out of prison, you know? Yeah. But that's what's going to happen. So, well, he'll rate, be eligible for parole then, right? Eligible, but yeah. But it doesn't mean he'll get it. Not necessarily, no. And, you know, considering that he's, you know, not been a model citizen uh, in prison, we'll see. But at any yeah. rate, that that's what's happening with his case. So at this point right now, he is in prison and should stay there for another 10 years. So that'll be 45 years served at that point. So that's that creepy bullshit story about Daniel LaPlante. My God. That's terrifying. Praying on those little girls and living in the walls of their home. You know what's strange to me, though? Why didn't he kill them? Why didn't he? Why was it another family? I don't know. They uh, are, I think, extremely lucky to be alive. Because you'd think if he was going to, you know, go do something like that after he'd been arrested, that it would be to get revenge and go back to the people who put him in jail in the first place. You would. I wondered about that, too. Interesting. But he didn't. He left them alone after that. Isn't that weird? It is really weird. Mm hmm. Yeah. So now, you know. So. Uh, again, I my sources are in the show updates or the show uh, description, and there's a really good blog. Talk Murder to me is a really good blog, and I uh, <clears throat> relied heavily on that blog for this uh, segment, as well as the two others that I listed. And there's a lot more out there, too. Um, this has been, you know, made-for-TV stuff. Uh, you know, it's right, been all over yeah. the place. But at any rate, pretty wild stuff. So... Christy, I am going to turn the mic over to you for our next segment, which I believe is WTF Crime. It is. WTF, you guys. I feel like after doing true crime for as long as we have that I could teach some courses on how to be better at it, right? (laughs) Um, Be careful now. Not that I should or ever would, but I it kills Be careful, me. Careful, Nancy. You can really tell the sun <laughs> is coming in on me because, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't usually record this time of day. No, I know. I'm realizing, like, I had no idea my lighting would do this. Um, okay, but there are a few things you should do, and one of them, if you're gonna rob a place, is to do a little research, because <laughs> this guy. I was gonna show you the video, but it's very hard to watch. It's very hard to see. What's happening, I think it's better for me to just tell you. So um, there was a burglary. The Maryland police have <laughs> dubbed this person the bad luck bandit. 
Oh. Uh, so this was in uh, Prince George County in Maryland. And there was a man who was caught on surveillance footage breaking into a restaurant. He used a brick to shatter the store's front window. And, you know, that worked great. Ooh. Um. <laughs> So I think he got a little cocky that maybe, you know, this was going to be easier than he thought. <laughs> so then he goes to a window that I think is like to an office or, you know, somewhere where the money is kept. Right. Sure. He whacks that window with the brick. Well, guess what? It's bulletproof glass. Oh, dear. And so he does it twice. Can't break it. Does it again really hard. And the brick bounces back and whacks him straight in the face. <laughs> So, you know, for the police, it's a little easier to find him because all they got to do is just find a, a guy that has a big imprint of a brick on his forehead. <laughs> he was okay. really quite unsuccessful in his theft. He didn't really get anything. <laughs> well, he Except knocked himself time. out. He just sort of hits the deck for a few minutes and then kind of gets up and staggers away. <laughs> like, he knows he's really screwed up this time. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Yeah, we, we need so. more criminals like that that are less successful and easier to catch. Yes, very much so. And, you know, because we have Florida and other places like Florida, we mm -hmm. will just continue to have those kinds of criminals. Apparently so. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, this is Wednesday. So we'll be back tonight with case updates at mm -hmm. 7 p.m. Mountain. We'll be back tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Mountain for the Psychic Hour. So thanks, you guys, for being here. We appreciate you. Uh, be sure to like, share, follow, dislike, comment, whatever. Any engagement is good engagement for us. So mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks for being here, and we'll be back. So this has been yet another episode of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Bye, everybody. Oh.